Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Josh Rushing. Josh is a professional horseman, trainer, and clinician out of Missouri. He was a 2018 and 2019 Extreme Cowboy Association Futurity World Champion. He was a two-time Extreme Cowboy Association Pro Division World Champion in 2010 and 2016, the Calgary Stampedes Cowboy Up Challenge 2019 Champion and 2016 Reserve Champion. He's a seven-time UHCA Colt Division Champion and the 2017 and 2018 Equifest of Kansas Top Horse Champion. Needless to say, Josh has a little experience in competition and putting together some incredible horses. What was incredible about this episode is his perspective on opportunity in working with the horse and really placing an emphasis on developing that relationship and building a trust with your horse. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. For more information on Josh Rushing, you can visit his Facebook page at Shoe N R, that's the letters N and R Horsemanship, or on Instagram, he's at shoe.n.r underscore horsemanship. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here's our conversation with Extreme Cowboy World Champion, Josh Rushing. We're coming out of... Uh february into march so this is where we're really starting to kind of get focused and get everybody ready to go um we've got a really exciting fraturity horse uh this year we call him tater um he's I a like gala it. dclo <laughs> he's uh he's a gala dclo and uh smart chick um and so uh i picked him up in january and just been kind of casually playing with him as the weather allows um but uh really excited about him um I was fortunate enough to win the fraternity last year uh, on a little horse we called uh, Willie John. Uh, that gentleman is bringing me another horse um, this year. He'll be here April 1st. Uh, so I'll have two, for, two fraternity horses for the UXCA um, fraternity this year. So I'm really excited about that. Our first show will be a, kind of a local show. We, we kind of help run a um, local organization called the UXCA, um, which is sanctioned by EXCA. Um, and so uh, our first race will be in April. It'll be at uh, Collins, Missouri, uh, beautiful trail riding facility down there. It'll be a big outdoor course. Uh, so that's what we're going to kind of start getting uh, geared up for, really natural-type obstacles. Um, UHCA is really, really good about kind of keeping the obstacles pretty practical and not not looking like the circus come to town, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yes, sir. Um, we really like them to be, um, you know, something that you would encounter. Uh, yeah, realistic you know. presentation. Yeah, yeah, you know, on a ranch or on a trail or on a, um, and so we, they, they, you know, really do a pretty good job of keeping stuff uh, pretty classy, in my opinion. That's good. That's good. So you guys think uh, you won't have enough snow or you won't have enough uh, weather issues holding up that show? No, that's why, you know, usually, you know, like today it's March, you know, and, and we're going to have a, a 66 degree, you know, weekend. Um, to get some stuff done. Now we, you know, that doesn't mean we won't have a yeah something push cold through. <laughs> nights and snow start flying, you know, in March. But usually by April, yeah. um, we're really 
Um, we're really pretty safe. Now we'll start to get some rain. Um, the nice thing about Eagle Ranch is it's on the side of a rock down there in, in southern Missouri. So uh, even if it rains, the foot, you know, the ground will stay hard. Yeah. Um, we've actually competed down there um, in the rain. Um, and, and really the only thing that will slow those those cowboys down is uh, lightning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, that's a good enough reason. Wind, yeah, you know, and it's just that's kind of how we started, you know. We, I remember the first UHCA race we did, man. I mean, it rained, and we all kind of jumped in the trailer for just a couple minutes and let the heavy showers go over, and then we jumped right back out there and went at it. You Get know, after it. We've kind of stuck with that concept, and and the only thing that really does slow us down is if the facilities can't get prepared, if there's a lot of weather beforehand, yeah, and they yeah. can't, or you can't get parking done because of hayfield, or you know nobody wants to tear up a hayfield, yep, um, you know for parking. So it's those might shut us down, but we're a pretty tough group of that's awesome. people we get to ride with. That's awesome. I mean, what a I just start thinking about the people we ride with, and this is an awesome group of people. Really, it's fun to get out, you know. And we kind of talked a little bit about before recording here that. I mean, a lot of people just like to ride in the arena, right? And they just grab that rail and circle around the rail and do whatever they need to do. But getting out in the open country and like, I mean, I ride out in a place in Texas a lot. And one of the properties is 250 acres. And it's awesome just to ride out, you know, through through a tree line or whatever and open up right into a big old pasture or valley, you know, and there's yep. nothing. There is nothing. There's no buildings. There's no utilities, nothing. And there's something peaceful about it, right? To get out in the middle of that pasture and work a horse or take them in the tree line, right? And start working with some oh. of those finer skills and where they set their feet and how they set their feet and how they take on challenges. There's a lot to it in riding outside. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we we just, we talk all the time about, you know, we want to build a barn, you mm-hmm. know, this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have our outdoor arena, uh, great, great footing, you know, all that. I want to build a barn. Um, and I know, and we've actually went and looked at other facilities that we could buy already built. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is when you walk outside that barn, they're just flat grass or there's just nothing there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go outside and there's nothing where this place, um, like I told you this morning, it's 30 acres and it's 90 feet of elevation difference. That's from incredible. Front to back and, and ditches and hills and strip. There's a big strip pit across the backside. Uh, Walnut Creek um, runs the backside of my place. So we have timber and, and open meadows and i mean we just have 30 acres right here but i've got nice enough neighbors that i mean i have access to hundreds hundreds of acres um uh you know they have cattle and things so i might just take a young horse off if i've been working him in that arena for a couple of days um you know i might just take him off and go check uh check the neighbor's cows for him or something you know and um, they got a big, like you're talking about, big old hay meadow down there. And sometimes, man, it's just nice to go down there and lope a few circles. Yeah. Good flat area yeah. down there on Walnut Creek, um, big wide open space. And I'll go down there and work one, you know, lope a few circles and and uh, get them out in the open. And um, then you really know, you start to understand whether or not you have your horse's heart when there's no fences around you, right? Is he going to stay with you or is he going to kind of lean back towards the house every time you lope that circle around that way? Does that make sense? And that, No, that was the biggest thing. When you were describing your property, I was thinking, man, how many how many incredible opportunities to present to a horse, right? And oh, that's been the yeah. biggest draw for me in riding outside. I mean, it really puts your relationship to the test with this horse. You know, can they can they keep focused? Can they stay engaged? Can you work them willingly? Are they frantic because something's falling out of a tree or, or a rabbit jumps or something along those lines? You know, there's so many more opportunities for yep. for outside stimulus, and you really got to pay attention and really test your horsemanship to see where you're at as far as keeping that horse in the game. 
Oh, absolutely. I tell everybody my assistant trainer is a Jack Russell dog named Oakley. And uh, every time I go to the timber, she's bouncing around. And I mean, if I go one mile, she goes about six. Yeah. <laughs> Running <laughs> circles I, around you. <laughs> oh, she's bouncing everywhere. And, and, and she may disappear after a squirrel and you don't see her for a couple. And then all of a sudden she pops over a pit dump right yep. in her lap almost, yep. you know, and those colts. Will, but it just, it really does a great job of desensitizing those. You know, I say young horses because we ride a few young horses, but we ride a lot of older horses too that come in for training or mm-hmm. tune-ups or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, it does great for them to kind of get them over some of that, yeah, yeah. Um, and desensitize them a little bit. And man, they pretty pretty soon they kind of soften up, and it's like, okay, I'm not going to die out here. Yeah, and uh, and then the, yeah, like you said, the opportunities, uh, those little you know washouts and those little draws and those little ditches that that just look like they're going to swallow a horse yeah. up. Yeah, um, but you start to develop that trust. You know, if you can get them through that one. Um, and then the next one, and then pretty soon they're just they're starting to okay, you haven't got me in trouble yet. Um, and then pretty soon they're just going wherever you point them, you know. Yeah, and they're their confidence just grows exponentially. Start to pick them up and move, and and uh, and that's fun. And people ask me all the time, like, hey, how do you start obstacles? And I started out there in the timber. Yeah, yeah, you just know, go right. As natural as can be. Yeah. It's a, it's incredible, and that's why I wanted to have this conversation today. Because obviously, of your experience with uh, Extreme Cowboy and the the Ultimate Horseman, and those two associations. But let's start with a little bit about your history, and we'll we'll give a little background on who you are, and then we'll spend this lion's share talking about your progression into uh, hopefully getting out of the farrier business and pushing into full time. Sure, sure. So we know you grew up grew up there in Missouri, and. Your experience didn't necessarily start with horses. Uh, you had a little experience with the mules. No, no. We started out, you know, I wanted horses as a, as a young kid, and and I don't even know how my dad got hooked up with the Midwest Mule Club. But, I mean, that's a wild bunch of mule riding <laughs> hippies, more or less. <laughs> but they were awesome, right? Yeah. And, 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 and I remember he bought this... Uh, this, I mean, really, quite frankly, I mean, an ugly, happy mule. I mean, no tail, just a nub sticking out, and uh, uh, not a, not an attractive the old know, animal dog. At all. <laughs> and, uh, but but what a good mule! I mean, she was just incredible, and that was our our first one. And then somehow my dad come up with this little black Shetland pony mule uh, we called Blackjack, and I'm quite convinced he was possessed or something. <laughs> a little bit of the devil in the bloodline. Oh my gosh, that, that, that mule, I mean, if there was a tree out there, you know, in a hundred acre pasture, he was going to that tree and Square he would try up. to drag you off. I mean, he, he's going to, and you couldn't hurt him. Uh, you know, a lot of times we would ride double cause it was my brother and I, and we're, you know, just getting going. So we'd be on a trail ride wherever, you know, and, and we'd be going downhill and then that's when he'd crack in half and <laughs> he couldn't stay on it, you know. And, you know, we'd get dumped and turn around and, you know, crawl back on him. And, and I, 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 I'm, you know, I don't know what, you know, how that didn't scare us, you know, but yeah, it didn't. Yeah. You know, my brother and I, we just jump back on and go. Yeah. Probably, honestly, the best thing for us. Um, and, and, and uh, I mean, but it was just, you just didn't ride him without getting dumped, without him doing something That's to great. you. And, what a great relationship. Yeah. <laughs> And we got to where you couldn't really kind of steer him. He'd just kind of go with the flow, go with the trail, you know, go with yep. the pack, you know. And, and as we got a little older and a little stronger, you know, and progressed, um, 
I remember the first time I actually got him away from the barn and out into the pasture. Um, I could go to the right and go around that pasture along the fence, but that was it. You weren't getting him back out there again. That's great. And he was only going to go that direction, <laughs> and you'd make one lap, and then you'd, you'd just be lucky if you got him back. And then pretty soon, you know, as we kept working at it, finally got to where I could go, you know, start halfway guiding him wherever I wanted. And, oh. and so, yeah, that was first that was our first uh experience well, and then blackjack. we started blackjack yeah <laughs> blackjack the devil mule but oh he was cute as a bug though i mean what a what a great critter and and a fun memory and and uh in fact i did the same thing to my kids my kids have a little mule called mistletoe um and uh but she's a little nicer than blackjack was so that's funny she's not without her her honor features i mean she but uh She's not malicious at all. She's actually a pretty sweet mule, and and uh, uh, the kids have done a really good job, and, and she's taught both my kids quite a bit. My son is seven, and, and he still rides her, and we go on big trail rides, and he started uh, he started doing obstacles last year. Um, we have kind of a little schooling class, and so I can go out there with him. Oh, that's cool. Uh, what a great I, experience. I'm on foot, yeah. and, and I can kind of help guide rider. Uh, through some obstacles and stuff like that. And mistletoe, as you know, probably know, mules are not always the most trusting critter. No. And so uh, it, it takes a special horseman to to gain the trust of a mule. And so um, I have to do the best I can to kind of guide rider through that and, and develop that relationship between him and his mule. But but it's, it's sure a lot of fun. It's funny. So uh, friends of mine have a mini mule. And uh, the wife was out on the road one year and, she calls home and she says, Hey, uh, I want to pick up a mini horse. You know, I want to bring a mini horse home. And my buddy's saying, we have absolutely no business buying a mini horse, right? We got plenty of horses here to ride. Shoes out competing and they go back and forth for several weeks about this conversation. So eventually she calls home and says, well, I went out, I think she was out in Texas. I went out to the kill pen and got myself a mini horse. My buddy said, Jesus, you know, another mouth to feed. We have no function for this, no use for this sucker. Yeah. So as she's making her rounds, she ends up, I think it was in Colorado and, uh, she's got her horses in all the stalls, mini mules, or excuse me, the mini horse got its stall, got her cup of coffee, checking the horses after feeding. And she notices that this mini horse is bagged up. So she calls, oh, no. yeah, she calls the vet, <laughs> vet comes out and Craig checks her and yeah, you don't, you just don't have a fat horse. Uh, this thing's got a baby in there. So she, oh, geez. yeah, reluctantly calls home. Hey, uh. Honey, the uh, mini horse is pregnant, so we're going to have two of them now. And he, Jesus, what are you doing spending this money? Now we got two mouths to feed. Yep. So about three weeks later, she makes that final phone call home, and it was not a mini horse. It was a mini mule that they had. (laughs) So they got this mini mule named Geppetto now, and he's a couple years old now. But the personality of that little sucker, man, he runs around. He's like a big dog. Yeah, and he bombs across the ranch all the time, and he'll come up and greet you, and he puts on a show for everybody, and uh, yep. it's just funnier than heck. And here they are; they didn't want they didn't want the mini horse. They sure as heck didn't want a pregnant one, and then they end yep. up with this mini mule out of it, and uh, just the funniest little sucker you ever seen. Yeah, they are a lot of fun, and yeah. I I still appreciate a good mule, and and some people don't understand them, but uh, I still own one. You know, I still have big big black. We call him. Uh, uh, I call him Lefty Crockett sometimes because he liked to go left when I got him. But uh, uh, Big Mule, I call him Cadillac Crockett too sometimes because sometimes he's really nice. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but no, uh, you know, I've always had a, a, a 
you know, soft spot for mules. Didn't want them to start with, but, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, definitely developed a, a love for them. And then even started competing. You know, uh, when I first started cowboy racing, I, I competed on a black mule that I had had since I was 12. You know, my dad bought a young mule named Shadow. It was probably a two- or three-year-old mule at the time. And uh, my dad's a bigger guy, and she just could not carry him on those long trail rides. And mm-hmm. I was 12 and didn't know any different and jumped up there and took her over, and he never got her back. And That's crazy. He still fusses about that sometimes. But <laughs> I was going to say, how many times has that happened to us as parents, right? That yep, little kid yep. develops a relationship. You're like, all right, well, I guess I'm going horse shopping. <laughs> that's right you just lost lost the horse yep. <laughs> so, good but, stuff uh, so when did when did this horsemanship thing first become an interest to you right because we all have history riding horses and it, it's, it's all varying levels of experience and interest but most people or, or most guests on this show have that moment where it's like you know what maybe i should make a little bit more of a run at this or Maybe yeah. this lights a little bit more of a fire than it does with the next person who just hops on and puddles around on a horse. Sure, sure. You know, so I, you know, I grew up and and I don't know. I've been riding five, six years old is when we kind of got in the mules and and um, trail rode a lot. I mean, we trail rode all over the country and and uh, followed that Midwest Mule Club around. You know, them guys were wild and wooly. And I mean, if there's a picnic table standing there, right, we were going to climb over it. You know, That's with incredible. the mule, if we can get it. Uh, you know, this nothing was safe, you know, what yeah. a rock. And, and so that was just normal to me. Right. You know, and, and so those are the things I grew up doing and loving. And, and so it's funny that, that fast forward, I end up in, I end up doing, you know, uh, making a pretty decent career out of obstacle. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, Boy, did you but, get your start? Uh, I was pretty happy just doing that and trail riding. And then I do some cowboy and from time to time I had, you know, gotten into, you know, a horse or two and, and, uh, start, you know, started a couple horses for people off and on. And, and, uh, um, uh, so I, um, doing some cowboy stuff and, and through high school and all that stuff. And I worked for some people, um, in high school called, you know, their names are West and Judy Koffel. They own, uh, Tiger Track Farms, uh, in Mount City, Kansas. And, uh, they raised mules and paint horses, show horses. And I was cleaning stalls and stuff like that. And they really tried to teach me, um, some things, uh, you know, they, I didn't know what a lead was, you know, yeah. at this point, you know, I'm in high school. I could go ride a horse. I can go rope something. I can go drag something. I can go do some cowboy stuff, but I honestly couldn't tell you my right lead from a left lead or, or any of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, uh, they tried to, you know, they had some tapes and stuff available and, and, and think, you know, training tapes that they had bought and were willing to share with me. And I, looking back, I probably should have made more use of that stuff. And, but I just, my heart wasn't in it at that time, you know, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't something I, I had wanted to dedicate. I had other stuff on my mind, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, but their son took me out in the pen one day and I remember we started two halflingers and he started those horses and you know, we got them halter broke. That was our job from that day. And we halter broke or, or got halters on them. Just, you know, that, that pressure and release thing. And pretty soon they're following us around like puppy dogs instead of us chasing them and yeah. roping them and, yeah. and doing all that stuff. And that was, a, that was probably my first real moment of like, Hey, there's, that's pretty, that's there's something pretty here. handy. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's, you know, really pretty cool. Um, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, you know, I switched right away and, and went, ah, um, in fact, you know, I, get out of high school, went to college for a minute, decided I didn't like that at all, um, and, and started shoeing horses. And, of course, still in the meantime, I'm, 
you know, I'm still riding. I still have passion for trail riding. We've got an old beat up stock trailer where, you know, with little living quarters in the front, we're going up and down the road with. And, and, uh, so I never, never lost a passion for riding or, or, uh, you know, even doing cowboy stuff. Good friend of mine had a work for Sterling Ranch and, and Amaret. We'd gather bulls every year. And, um, so any opportunity I can go do that stuff, I would. And, um, but actually that gentleman, his name is Scott Sims. Um, I was shooing for him and, uh, he had entered an extreme cowboy race and this had to be around 2007 and he, his horse got hurt. Um, or maybe he had something for whatever reason he couldn't go. And then yeah. it was a non-refundable entry fee. It was about $450 is a lot of money. Yeah. And, and cause at this time there was no sanctioned EXCA. It was Craig Cameron's extreme cowboy race, but it was kind of a demo and they'd come into an area and, you know, they'd grab up what riders they could to enter and, and it, it was expensive, and, and he said, and I, of course, I couldn't pay it. I, I, I didn't have that kind of money. And he said, well, I'll just trade you out shoeing horses. And he, he convinced me to go compete, you know, and I had no desire whatsoever crazy. To, to even think about competing. You know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't grow up doing sports. Um, mm-hmm. We were farm kids, and I would rather, I, you know, it was, either, it was either play sports or have a truck. And if I was going to have a truck, I was going to have to work, you know, so yeah. I, I worked. Um, you know, we could get a license at 14 in Kansas, a farm license. And so that's what I did, uh, you know, after, um, I didn't play football or nothing. So there was nothing competitive about me. And, uh, so I had a, a horse, some clients had given me uh, to dump their daughter. Um, we called him Huckleberry, a big old tall, uh, he was a quarter horse, but, but had some thoroughbred type background. I mean, this thing was tall and lanky and kind of like I was at the time and, and uh i i took old huckleberry and went up there and i think i was 11th out of i don't know how many riders but i was just out of the top 10 and i think they did like top 10 buckles and i remember oh man i just but it it didn't matter i was hooked yeah. like, i was like <laughs> wow like that was fun you know and i mean uh, people still talk about that course today it was done at the it's we have a real famous uh, club here called saddle and sirloin um, it's a boarding facility, and they got a steakhouse restaurant, and, and uh, they've been around for years. But they, I mean, they dug stair steps in the side of a hill. They put these big, giant, permanent, you know, uh, heavy jumps in, and uh, they dug this little pond out. I mean, we were riding down in this pond, and, I mean, horses just, you know, it was, awesome. it was western. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, they had this big rocky ravine that you had to ride up, and, and I mean, it was just really cowboy and really western, and, and and that was my, that was probably the moment where I, I'm, several of us, for for a lot of us, um, we're like, we want to do this more. This is where it's right? at, yeah. And so uh, we immediately, we got a meeting together, we met at Saddle and Sirloin, and we're like, let's, let's, let's have some practices or something so we could get prepared. Next time he comes back to town, we're going to win. You know, we're, yeah, we're going to whoop him. We want to do better, you know. <laughs> well, they're like, well, why don't we just have our own little... And, that, and what was going to be practices turns into essentially UHCA, and that was its infancy. So we said, well, let's just have our own little races so we're ready next time. And then right then, you know, we kind of started getting going, and, and EXCA finally, they sanctioned that year as well. And uh, and so we everything kind of has, over the years, worked together where they now sanction us, and, and we're, we're, we're all part of the same team, if you will. But that's yeah. where... You know, that's where I started craving it. I, I, I immediately, almost immediately went to a local Western pleasure, um, trainer, um, 
Darren Fultz with All Star Performance Horses, and and um, I, I gotta say, you know, he was pretty good to me. I mean, he didn't charge. I don't remember even really ever paying for a lesson. Um, he just say, "Come on, Josh, you want to learn something? Come just hang out." Yeah. And he was really good, <clears throat> and that's what he did. I mean, he 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 charged a lot of people lessons, but at the time, I, you know, we're I'm shooing horses, and I didn't have a lot of extra money to spend, and and. Uh, um, we spent a lot of hours over there at Darren's. I knew I could ride, but I didn't know the fundamentals or the or the the finesse of it, you know. And I I didn't want to look like a farmer riding mm-hmm. a horse. Mm-hmm. I knew that, you know. Yeah. And that was one of the things I said to him. I was like, I don't want to look like a sack of potatoes on a horse. How do I, you know, <laughs> just go along for uh, the ride? And yeah, and so um, Darren started working on me, and and he he was he's Josh. You you you're, you're progressing way faster and i said well but the foundation was there from what wes and judy had taught me mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there were things that that i that sunk in maybe that that he was bringing to the surface or maybe i understood the concept better or whatever but but we made in, in two years I, I i made so much progress i mean i just my whole world changed the way i did everything the way i moved around my horses um the expectation i had picked up um little horse we called mini dusty uh, got him from my neighbor. My neighbor put four or five rides on him, and then he had a big, you know, he had a big dusty. So, unfortunately, <laughs> this one got called mini dusty. Uh, then they were spitting image of each other. Just one was smaller, and um, and Darren helped me develop that horse, and and um, and ultimately rode that horse to my first world title um, in the pro division in 2010. Um, and uh, and but that's and I've been craving it ever since. You know, I've I just keep keep looking for that and Darren Darren introduced me eventually to uh Fred Bershire who's a uh, reigning trainer and uh that was at Lewisburg and so I would drive up there and I would ride with Fred some and Fred ultimately moved to Springfield which uh that hurt my feelings but uh <laughs> you know I'm not a I'm not a western pleasure person I'm not a I'm not a reigning trainer um although I I I do absolutely love the sport of reigning and and I might go down that road someday uh but those those fundamentals of, of the, you know, I was able to take and develop. And I think that's the cool thing about our sport. It's so versatile. Um, you know, jumping lessons, you know, we go to, you know, actual jumping instructors, right? We've got a couple, I've got a couple ladies in my circle that understand jumping in a Western saddle and they, and they do the best they can to help me achieve, uh, my goals. And that's kind of a funny story. My first jumping lesson, but, um, but no, it's just a, such a versatile sport that, that going to these people that are experts in their own field and then adapting that to what we're doing, uh, it's kind of been the, you know, the epitome of, epitome of my success, really. And I just had the, a very similar conversation uh, two nights ago mm-hmm. uh, with a Canadian horseman, and it was just that we were talking about just career path stuff, right, and just kind of rhetorical conversation. So many people pigeonhole themselves into, I'm going to be a rainer or I'm going to be a jumper or I'm going to be an inventor. And they just focus so hard on that given discipline that as they progress, the horsemanship, the horsemanship isn't necessarily developed, right? They're just focusing on a skill and they just hammer out that skill, but maybe not necessarily pay attention to the horse the best they can. Whereas folks that are horse, like true horsemen to the core, right? You want to get yourself to a point where you can offer Every discipline, something. Yep. You might not be the best at spinning a horse. You might not be the best at slide stopping a horse or jumping a horse or whatever. But 
you know the horse well enough, you know the human well enough that you can look at any given relationship and say, hey, maybe you could try this, or maybe if you soften up this, or this horse was relaxing at that point, and you should have taken advantage of that. And that's the incredible thing with this horsemanship deal, and especially when we start talking about extreme cowboy stuff and, and ultimate horseman stuff, because you guys are flying all over the arena, and you're putting a lot of mental stress and pressure on this horse. They're all keyed up and amped up, but... Um, I've watched some of your runs and, and to get a horse to do all of that at such a speed, so willingly, that's where you really, you really start to test the skills of horsemanship. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. It's asking a lot. And you know, what's about that? There should be a disclaimer with some of those videos because the not so exciting ones that happen all year long to get to that point, nobody ever posts that stuff because they're not, you know. We yeah. run all year long. We do we do a race every month minimum, if not two. We don't we don't just start out. We don't go to every race that hard. Yeah. We have our cult classes and stuff like that, and these local races we we use to develop the horse all the way up. And it's great that you have a final like in a, Calgary. Exactly, you have like an um, appropriate level in which you test and press these horses. Right? It's not that you take a three year old out there and just try to bomb them through Calgary. I mean, no, they got they got experience, not. right? And they've been taking on appropriately, cha- excuse me, appropriate challenges based on their development um, to get them to the point exactly. of Calgary. Exactly, and it's you know, and that's what you know, and in the comments will be made, you know, well, that's you guys ride awful fast. I don't know if I could do that. It's like no, go to your local race. Like like you're mm-hmm. not going to have to ride that hard to compete at a local level. Mm-hmm. Yes, when we get to World Finals or when we get to Calgary, that's Talladega Nights. That's you better where get you after it. Yeah, race car. All year you've been working on the handle and you've put the best tires on it. You've put the best motor in it. You've put the best, you know, brakes on it. Well, at some point you actually have to go drive that thing and see what you got. Yeah. And that's a concept that I think escapes a lot of people. They they want to they want to train. They want to train. They want to train, but they're never actually willing to go ask a horse for everything he has to offer and see if you really do in fact have his heart right yeah. in your hands. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Like, do you really have a horse? Absolutely. I mean, you've trained him, and, and, and so that's where I, I, I just, I love that part about it. You know, and I, you know, the horse I won Calgary on a couple of years ago, I, his owner may never ask for that much out of, out of him again. Yeah, and I think it's hard, too, in my personal experience, right, especially in the early years of, of me chasing this education, is that I did not know what to expect from a horse. I did not know what level to hold that horse accountable or even how far mm-hmm. to push him, right? So... In one sense, if if we as a human don't know how to ask or what to ask for, right, it's hard to get that horse to that level. And it comes down to accountability and drive and desire. And everybody has their own level of, hey, how good am I? But that's the extreme thing sure. is that the skill set that you guys have and the progression that you guys follow in the discipline of extreme cowboys, just it's a versatile, it's, it's amazing to watch how many different ways you test that horse. And I mean, it's minutes in these final runs, minutes in these final runs that you just push a horse through everything. And, oh, yeah. I mean, carrying riders and, you know, in and out of obstacles, elevation changes, all sorts of stuff, turning movements, just flag getting after it around the arena. It's it's impressive to watch. Very impressive to watch. Yeah. It's a lot happening in about three minutes. Yeah. It seems like yeah. uh, some of those rounds, you know, and our average runs at home are, are five to six, you know, a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Anywhere from I'd say four to seven minutes, so mm-hmm. the pressure's not there. But like mm-hmm. you see on those some of those Calgary runs and stuff like that, it's mm-hmm. it's uh, you know the, it's pressure, you know. And yeah. and I do it. I try. You know, if you'll notice, we work really hard. 
I try to make sure my horses walk out of the pen the same way they walked in. Yes. It's a great and indicator, right, of the mental space of that horse. Yeah. You will be hard-pressed to find a video of any one of my horses walking out of the pen, you know, jazzed up and worked up. Yeah. Because I, we, we develop that at home. That's not the first time. You know, I'll go out here in this arena and do fast circles just like those Rainer got, you know. We'll go out there. I want my horse to know what it's like to go fast. I want him to be comfortable Mm -hmm. uh, going fast. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a fairly large pen, and there's a reason for that. My horse needs to know what it's like to to go flat out, and I do that before I go to town. I don't wait till I get to town to do that. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean I go out there and just, you know, run his butt off every day. That's not what I mean. It's just, you know, I've kind of developed those skills. Develop that in my horse over time that he's just comfortable going fast, you know. Uh, and I think a lot of people kind of wait until they have to go fast, and then they have a horse that's worked up, don't know how to handle it. That's the thing and, that I've been uh, working on with my horses is that relaxation at speed. You know, he's great. Yep. He's great at picking up cues, and he's very articulate at these. You know, the walk, the the trot stuff. But we get into lopes, and even at, even at the slower speeds, you know, he's pretty good, but. I want to get to a point where you run this sucker flat out and just those smallest subtle cues he's able to pick up on. And and I like what you talked about when leaving an arena, right, with that nice relaxed horse. Uh, I've yep. made that a priority of mine over this last year is that I want the horse to leave the arena more relaxed than when he started and yep. not worn out. I think a lot of people think worn out or tired oh. equates to relaxed, and that is not I'm glad it you at all. That. Not it at all. Yeah, no, absolutely not. The the answer is not go lope a hundred circles yeah. until um if if I tell people all the time, you cannot you cannot think where your horse is out to go compete. It's not fair. Um, you know, if you ride a hundred circles today, guess what? You're gonna have to ride hundred and one tomorrow and hundred and two the day after yep. you, they're just gonna get in better and better shape and your job's gonna get tougher and tougher and yep. tougher. Yep. Um you cannot go wear them out to compete. You have to harness that energy. You have to you have to start to communicate to their heart and put that heart. If you, man, the best horse I've ever rode probably to date is Buster, and that's one hot horse. He is he is not easy to ride. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I won the world world on him in 2015. I think he's owned by Jim Oaks. I mean, this is a big motor, really strong, really powerful horse. But there ain't no wearing him out. You know, yeah. I'd be yeah. I'd still be out there loping circles if I thought I was going to wear him out. Yeah. He's all heart. And and it, all you have to do is get that heart committed to your purposes. And don't get me wrong, I've had a race or two on Buster where he got ahead of me, and I might as well be sitting behind the saddle for half a race because that's sort of how it felt. He got ahead of me, and I <laughs> yeah. couldn't get back in front to be that leader and just got behind, and and he, he's so powerful and so quick. Um, but when, when the stars line up and you step up and get out in front of that you know, hot horse, um, and, and get him committed to your purposes, man, they're the best ones. I mean, the chance for Epic is is always going to be with that horse, but the answer is never uh, wear it out. It's harness it. it yeah. It's, and yeah. I, we have exercises and things that we use when we do the clinics and stuff because, you know, I can't tell you how many people, I would say the bread and butter of the horse industry right now is, is people when their kids leave home, they're finally able to start focusing on, on what their dreams and goals are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what is that, 47 to 55 years of age or so, and most people's kids are are kind of done with college or whatever, and it's like, oh, man, now I have, you know, now I can go ride my horse. And so these are a lot of the people that show up at these clinics, and, you know, and they go buy a performance horse from the local trainer or whatever, and a lot of times they end up with a horse that's maybe just a little bit 
more, right, than yeah. they expected. It happened to um, me. And, and, Absolutely happened to me. Yeah, and so it's like, okay, let's 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 not try to wear him out. Let's figure out how to harness that energy. Let's let's figure out how to take that energy and get it to serve your purposes. Yeah. Let's figure out the dialogue or the communication that we need so that you can manage and handle this horse um, in a proper way. So we'll we'll do some exercises and things like that. And it comes flat out too. We're going to open him up and bring him back and turn him and open him up and turn him this way and this and things and go through those motions so they learn to deal with it. It's the way the way I kind of wrap my mind around it, so the horse that I bought, and I've told a story or alluded to the story quite a few times on the show, uh, I bought it with the intentions of roping off him, right? I was told this is the next horse that's going to get you to the next level. Right. You got to buy this horse, right? So me, the, the, the guy that was giving me this advice obviously knew more than I, so I take it as gold. Um, buy this horse and, and a lot of the, a lot of the lessons and the, and the preparation after that was all just lope him, lope him, lope him. And then when he starts to, you know, take the wind out of him, then we'll back him in the box and we'll get to work. And I start to think I was an athlete growing up and I started to think about it. All right. When you're a young child growing up in any given sport, right? You spend a lot of time on the physical skill set of the sport when you're a little little bitty kid, right? Because you need that repetition to develop the motor skill to develop the skill set. Then when you start to progress kind of towards like middle school, maybe high school, uh, you spend a little less time on the physical side of it and you start to learn the sport, right? How to play the sport, how to set up an opponent or how to respond to an opponent. By the time you start getting into college and semi-pro professional uh, levels, you spend far less time on physical exertion. You might spend time on refinement as far as physical skill set goes, but a lot of the sport... You focus on the mental side of the game. How do you think, right? How do you set up a hitter? How are you going to pitch this dude? How are you going to pitch the next guy? Who's who's going to be more inclined to steal on you or whatever the given scenario is? There's any number of variables. And that's where I kind of applied that approach to, to my horse. Like he had all these physical repetitions, right? Big physical horse, good team roping head horse. Um, but the mental side of the game is where he was lacking. He just would get so fired up all the time and just was so amped up and kind of scared of his own shadow. And once I started getting into horsemanship and really, really paying attention to it, all those excuses went out the window. Like, great, he's hot. Great, he's nervous. Don't care. I'm going to find a way to effectively communicate with this horse. And sometimes it takes going so far back in the training and starting all over just so you can reset kind of that thought process that horse has with any association of any given skill. Absolutely. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of reflection. You know, there's many, many frustrated nights for me getting out of the saddle. And um, I try to stay as good as I can between the ears when I'm horseback. But uh, you really got to look in. And I think that's the toughest part, too. You know, I was talking with a barn owner the other day and they bring in a number of clinicians throughout the year. And they said, well, we just haven't really had a lot of interest from our boarders because of uh, or excuse me for the for the guys that focus on the clinicians that focus on horsemanship. Right. They'll get discipline specific trainers in. And I said, I, I personally, this is just my opinion and this might hurt somebody's feelings, but there's tissue. The horsemanship guys don't come into the barn because the horsemanship guys force you as a human being to look at you as the problem, right? A lot of the stuff that a lot of the issues that horses come up with, it's, it's generated from us, a human being there's cues and there's things that we're doing that we don't even pay attention to. Right. And and that was kind of a driving force of the show is it, how do we raise the common level of horsemanship just a little bit higher, you know, one one rung higher on the ladder uh, just to help that baseline horseman be a little bit more cognizant of what they own? Yep. Um, I'm a big believer, and I'll never blame my – you'll never hear me blame my horse, and I won't let those around yeah. me or even in my yeah. clinic. We don't blame our horse. 
Now, maybe we haven't developed the dialogue or communication or words. I mean, obviously, horses don't speak English, right? So we have to develop another way to communicate to them. Um, I, I, I don't like hearing people, well, this horse is this, or, well, this horse is that. Well, that horse didn't get that way on its own. Correct. Now, maybe it wasn't your fault. Maybe you bought him that way or whatever, but it's still not not his not that horse's fault. And I feel like any horse, right, can be taught, can be trained, can be changed with the right training and the right communication. Um, and now, here's where people have to be honest with themselves. Sometimes you just don't match up. That's you true. Know, sometimes that's true. That that hot horse is not for everybody, and 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 nobody should ever feel ashamed if they they have a horse that's just a little bit outside of their skill level. Either they'll rise up. Or, or they need to make a, a real serious decision. Maybe I need to get something that's a little bit more on the same level with me, uh, pace-wise. Because it's, it's a little bit easier to push a horse when you're learning, right? If you have a horse that you kind of got to have to push along, and he's not going to go any faster than you make him. Yeah. You know, my wife started out that way. You know, we had her on horses that you pretty much had to pedal along, you know, and push. And well, now she's stepped up and she's starting to crave that horse that's going to offer her a little bit more yes. for a little less. Yes. And uh, I've seen her progress and move up. And, and that's just sometimes, man, confidence is such a big thing. We do some confidence clinics from time to time. And you that, that horse that's – if he's way far ahead of you right now, sometimes that's going to shake your confidence, and it's going to take a long time to, to get past that. But it's not his fault. It's never the horse's fault. Yeah. Uh, it's it's always comes back down to either we haven't developed as a horseman or horsewoman have not developed the the skills timing or feel um, to communicate to communicate to that horse properly. Yeah, and that was my experience. Knowing what I know about horse horses, excuse me. If if I was giving the recommendation to what was me historically me looking at where I was as a rider and looking where that horse was. I would never have made that pair, right? And this is no knock to the individual that made that recommendation. But knowing what I know now, I just would not do that. It's not the right match, right? I did not have the skill set. I did not have the wherewithal, all the timing and feel that you just discussed for what that horse was. I guess fortunately or unfortunately for that horse, I'm too hard-headed to quit, right? So now it drives me on this path. and, And I thank God every single day for the opportunity of putting that horse in my life because between my hard-headed personality yep. and all the things that that have been instilled in that horse, it has driven me in a path that I never would have gone, never in a million years would have gone if I had yep. a turnkey horse, right? And yep. Yep. the value that's come out of it. you have the time to do it. I'm, I'm assuming you work at it every day. Uh, I, as much as I can, yes. As much as I can. Right. Well, that's the biggest you know, people want to beat themselves up sometimes, and, and time is so precious. You know, as I, I, as I get older, time is way more valuable, valuable than money. Um, you know, if given enough time, there's nothing that can't be accomplished. Yes. And, and you know, I make a living at this. Like, I go shoe horses right now in the morning, and I come home every afternoon, and, and you know, weather's good and all that. We're riding, mm-hmm. um, you know, every day. Or if not every, you know, at least every week, you know, not you know, we might get rained out or something yeah. like that or whatever. <laughs> um, we don't have the barn built yet, but um, but we're pretty much working at it every day. Well, not everybody has that opportunity. Gee whiz, some of my clientele they have day jobs and stuff like that, you mm-hmm. know. And and I'm I'm a firm believer that any horse could make it given enough time. Correct. Well, some people just get lined up with the horse that they just don't have time. It doesn't mean they don't have the skill set. It doesn't mean they couldn't learn mm-hmm. it or they're not capable. 
but if you don't, if you're not in a position where you have the time to dedicate, it's, you know, it, it won't work. Yeah. You know, cause yeah. those type of horses, sometimes those type of horses, it doesn't even have to be a hot horse. It could be just a, a, a fearful horse or a horse that lacks confidence or whatever. Um, you know, sometimes that just takes a little bit more time than, than, you know, look at these fraternity horses that go to the rain and thing. There's so many horses that flunk out. That doesn't mean that those horses aren't just as capable. Yeah. Because they are. Yeah, they just, just couldn't get it done in the timeline. They couldn't do it in that timeline. Yeah. Right? They couldn't do it in that time frame. That's a great point. Uh, doesn't make them bad horses at all. They just mm-hmm. couldn't get there mm-hmm. uh, fast enough to get to the fraternity. So, yeah. uh, so it's just, you don't want to, you know, I just don't think people should feel bad for, for, for not, you know, they get in a position with a horse they don't understand. Well, it's that's, okay. And that's a lot of this. This show is is developing that reflection, developing that mindset, because I tell people all the time, like, run your own race. Don't pay attention to the guy next to you or the girl next to you, right? Run your own yep. race. And if and if your race says, hey, I get two hours a week with my horse, then make the yep. absolute best of it, right? Make the absolute right. best of it and be okay with two hours. Understand that you're not going to be a world champion because you're not yep. developing 14-hour days on a horse, you know? Yep. But you still can own those two hours a week, oh, and you can still dominate absolutely. those two hours a week and get something out of it. Absolutely, absolutely yeah. enjoy it. You know, yeah. if that's what you got, and, yeah. and I mean, horses are such a great thing, and, and and you know, good for everybody. And and you know, I just love the sport. I love you know, just the equine world in general. And and uh, no, go. You're absolutely right. Don't don't beat yourself up. You know, um, when you see somebody else doing better than you or progressing i mean i got people that we got in horses you know we'll have this conversation from time to time well we all got the horses at the same time but boy they just went you know you, you know you can't beat yourself up because they had more time to invest. correct correct so, yeah you know some of us are nurses and doctors and and teachers and um yeah. and you know have kids or whatever uh it's just not and you just can't can't beat yourself yeah. up for yeah um lord knows I mean, I wish all of us could wake up every day and just ride horses. But. I think the world would be a little bit better place. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be nice? That's all we had to do every day? be a lot less blood pressure medicine, a lot less psych medicine getting getting dulled out. <laughs> yeah, what's it? Uh, good stuff. So I do want to go back. Um, we kind of briefly touched on just understanding and developing experience in a multitude of disciplines, right? So let's, I want sure. to revisit your, your story. You said you had a funny story about jumping and, or attending a jumping clinic. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, UHCA right off the bat started to do some little, you know, uh, just educational little workshops or clinics. Right. And that's kind of how I even got started down the clinician road in the first place. I never set out to be a clinician. Um, it, it just kind of happened, but I, Remember, they were going to have an advanced roping and jumping clinic. It was kind of a combination. Part of the day you were going to be with... It's an interesting uh, combination. Yeah, it was a combination. So, like, you would be part of the day with the jumping or the roping instructor, and then the next half of the day you were going to be with the jumping instructor. And So you pay one price and you get both, you know. So what Mm -hmm. a deal, you know. I'm thinking, oh, great, you know. Because that's one thing, the rope handling skills and stuff were something that people just don't do all the time, right? so difficult, yeah. and, and then, of course, the jumping. Some people, you know, and I honestly, Jason, I went in there thinking, well, heck, I, I could jump. I ain't worried about that. But that that roping deal, I kind of want to learn. You know, mm-hmm. I could rope, but I, I but it they got me when they said advanced. And I was like, oh, what's what's the next step? I see step? what that's you all know? about, yeah. 
yeah, you know, well, <laughs> well, heck, I helped teach. The, I ended up teaching that. <laughs> like, it was not advanced at all. Like, I helped. There was just people weren't ready, you know, and, and as a general rule. And, and so I get there, and it was my good friend Scott Sims that talked me into cowboy racing in the first place that, that was teaching it. And uh, I ended up just helping, you know, yeah. because people didn't even know how to coil the rope, you yeah. know, and, and they're getting into this cowboy racing things kicking off, you know, and, and we're developing entry-level classes. And so people are like, hey, you know, I, need, I don't even know how to coil this thing, you know. And and so I ended up helping with that. But then uh, Kylie Fowler was the was the jumping instructor. Uh, she's from Topeka, Kansas. And she got a hold of me and, and absolutely changed my world uh, uh, when it comes to the jumping. I mean, I thought, you know, I just – I'm always – you know, I could survive anything, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I didn't know that jumping could be as comfortable as it is. <laughs> I, you know, I just, especially uh, on a Western saddle, out, right? Just slap back down, you know, as long as you stay on, you're okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> no, but <laughs> there's so much more and, uh, holy, holy cow, that it really opened my eyes and made me appreciate a whole nother sport. Uh, and honestly, in a different time, in a different place, uh, Josh probably wouldn't be wearing cinch jeans and cowboy boots. I'd be in those breaching things. And, uh, <laughs> um, because that, the FBI world. Oh my, it, it just, uh, I really, you know, developed a feel for it and, and, and kind of a craving for it. And still, um, just absolutely. It's one of my favorite things to do is go jump. Um, I was fortunate enough, not long after that to go on a fox hunt. And I was just, I was like, this is eventing, I think would be one of those things that just, uh, you know, maybe, maybe in another life, yeah, take a crack at it. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, and so, um, I just absolutely, you know, just love it. And, and I started to, that little horse that many dusty horse see I'm developing along this, this time too. And that horse was just exceptional at hunting a jump. I mean, when you lined him out, uh, you couldn't pull him off a jump to save your life. I no mean, kidding. he scraped too. And so he, he was instrumental and helping develop my, because I didn't have a horse that I had to worry about whether or not it was going to go over, whether or not I could keep him in the, so I was able to kind of develop, a, um, you know, a little timing and feel for those jumps and the yeah. proper position and stuff, because I had a horse that I could absolutely trust uh, to just go wherever he pointed him. In fact, he, he, he'd he line out there, and man, I'd just get out, of, he'd almost, he'd get faster or slower. He just, and this horse didn't, nobody trained him to jump, he just had a natural ability to was really good with his feet and and um and cool so, is that? uh, that's pretty darn cool yeah you know and and so now i've got horses i've had horses since then that are not as good at jumpers right and so mm-hmm. uh now i'm kind of in a position where i'm really having to refine those jumping skills just a little bit for when it's not perfect yeah because um, sometimes it just isn't perfect and and so i've had a couple challenge me uh you know since then and um you know, I've got one, the buckskin horse that I won Calgary on, actually, is not an overwhelmingly confident jumper. Uh, he doesn't know whether to step on it or jump it when he gets there. So he's always kind of watching <laughs> from a few feet. Because the obstacles, right? Sometimes we, 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 they're bridges or whatever. So he's, and he's still young, you know. And so he's looking at it. And he's trying to figure out whether he needs to go through it, over it, under it, step on it. <laughs> and then at the last minute, he's like, oh, I got to jump. All right, here we go. <laughs> I'm so stinking high, you know, and uh, I'm just like, oh, that hurts, Buck, but... Hey, <laughs> but, get it uh, done. Yep, yep, it's part of it, but yeah, no, they, they, that was, you know, UHC has done a great job of 
of, you know, we just had a workshop there back in February where they brought in, uh, you know, four different trainers. Uh, Kylie was one of them. Um, I did a demo on introducing a young horse to obstacles for the first time. Uh, Cal Nguyen's is a colt starter guy. He come in and did a demo, and then Mark Grattney was a reigning trainer. And UHCA still to this day is very instrumental in kind of helping develop and educate people and and grow those, you know, help grow those skills mm-hmm. uh, that then could be applied to, you know, the, to their sport. So what is it like? I know early in the episode we talked about riding outside and all the all the opportunity that's presented, right? Just by natural natural barriers or natural challenges. Sure. How does that transition take place to an experience like Calgary, where you're indoors? It's a packed house. It's an extremely right. fast arena, right? And you take basically everything that you developed outside. And now have to get that horse mentally prepared and focused to do it with so much stimulus that, I mean, you don't get it all year. You don't get the chance to practice in front of crowds like that, right? To to develop that repetition. So the horsemanship side of things really has to get that horse mentally focused. Kind of how does that progression work for you or, or what's your experience with that? Well, you know, I tell people all the time, I, I crave the first refusal. Um, and typically that'll happen out there going across a ditch or something like that. Um, and if it doesn't work there, I've got a couple little nooks that I know look funny to a horse and they'll almost work. You know, and, and what I mean by that is I crave that first refusal because that's where I'm going, going to develop the dialogue with my horse that it takes to communicate to him. Like, look, I know you don't understand. I know this looks scary. I have got you just trust me, lean on me. We're going to get through this, right? I'm going to help you. Right. And so that, that may take five minutes. I've got a little nook going down into water um, over here that I almost get them every time, you know, when they're first yeah. starting out. And it's it's just, it's a little bit, it's it's tough to navigate, right? And they're just usually, um, you know, they're wanting out of there. They don't like it. They're, no, 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 uh, I, I can't, you know. And so, um, I'll, you know, I don't. I ain't down there flogging and whooping on them. You know, I'm going to take the time that it takes, right, and, yes. and to get them through that. And it's, I'm not going to go start with that either, Jason. You know, I've already done a lot of little stuff. Yeah, the, the, right? the so, foundation of dialogue's so, been set. Yeah, I've tried to set them up for this, right? You know, I've got them prepared for this. But I know this one area is just a, just a good challenge. And so, man, it may take five, ten, whatever, you know, minutes, whatever it takes. But then the next time I come to that, it doesn't take, you know, less time. And yeah. then pretty soon, it's just a matter of days, and this horse is just going anywhere. You know, he even though he may not know, he you know, if I take care of him and I don't get him in trouble, doesn't matter how deep the mud, how wide the ditch, uh, how tall the tree we got to climb over, whatever. He's starting to trust and just starting to think down to his feet and just figure it out. He's and it's like, incredible. No, Josh has got me. He says go, so I go, and he's starting to think back to me and think down to his feet, and uh, so those. You have to develop that so you could put that horse in any obstacle and he could he could do it right now, right? We got all the time in the world there, but then as we start competing, those obstacles start coming faster and faster, right? So there mm-hmm. can't be any question anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to, you have to develop that. If Josh says to go, that's where we're going. Um, and I've even had horses like I talked about, many Dusty hunting a jump or you know you know hunter jumper horses and stuff like that where they start seeking and hunt. Some of these horses will actually start hunting and seeking obstacles, and they're going to them with or without you. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. Right? So they start to – because I I try to minimize any kind of pressure my horses have on the obstacles, right? You know, when I'm trying to ask him to go step off in that creek through that little nook, 
you know, there's pressure, 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 pressure. So, and any time he steps or even thinks or lowers his head to kind of, well, the pressure goes away. Yeah. And so they learn pretty quick. You that, man, comfortable. I can get over there. I can get a little, little siesta, you know, a little, <laughs> little break. And, um, and so they kind of start hunting and craving and, and, and going to them. And, and so, because you, you're exactly right. By the time, you know, we go to our local races, right? And, and we're not going quite as fast as you see us at Calgary, right? But now I'm starting to introduce obstacles one right after another. And that becomes an obstacle in itself. Like, I need you to think faster, think faster, think faster, because you can't get focused on that one. There's, you have to be two or three obstacles ahead, yeah. you know, when you're thinking and, and navigating. And so, um, so throughout, throughout the course of the year, I don't take any fraternity horses that I can't have for a year. There's That's a great. lot of people that'll That's great. take them, um, you know, 30, 60 days out or whatever. Uh, you know, in fact, the one that's coming in April is coming a little bit late. Um, I, I generally like to have them, you know, February, March, because it, I need that relationship developed over time that I count on them. That's no, awesome that you, you know, make that no a priority. Fan. No, absolutely not. And they don't even have to. I mean, gee whiz, I had that Raven horse, the gray horse I took to Calgary one time. That horse absolutely hated an obstacle. He didn't like it. Mm-hmm. He would do mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. we developed trust and, and timing and feel. And, and he knew that I, you know, I you was going to put him in a bad spot. Right? Yeah. He got his, he got his confidence from me. Um, I've had other horses that didn't need me for confidence. But yeah. if I said, go Raven, develop the skills. Now you put somebody else on him or my wife or what? Nope. I ain't doing it. No. <laughs> you know, just, it's crazy to see how horses get like that. I mean, my horse personally yeah, is like know. that. We get out and ride and we do stuff and. You put another person on him, and he just goes reverse right back to to who he was when yep. I first bought him. You know, just yep. very. I can't say he's. It's not that he's not trustworthy. You can just see he's very leery of of human beings. He hasn't been able to understand and, and develop a relationship with. Absolutely, and it doesn't make him a bad horse. No, it's just they that's have who a he different, is. Yeah, uh, you know, barrier. They just yeah. they have a different trust and and a little more self preservation, and uh, you know that's that's something that. Every horse should have an element of self-preservation. Um, and we have a responsibility training these horses, especially to do obstacles, that we don't take too much of that away. Because um, that's not my goal. I want my horse, if my horse walks up to a hole in the ground, I need him to kind of pay attention. Like, don't yeah. step in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes. And honestly, obstacle racing kind of went through that phase yeah. where when we started, it was pretty plain stuff. And then, oh, wow, everybody's getting it all done. We need to make this tougher. And so they start painting holes in the ground and, and you know, cracks in the ground and just making it just crazy. And it's like, okay, wait a second. Dial it back you know, a little bit. Yeah, let's, let's not be silly because if I'm on a trail ride and I'm looking back at my kids or something and my horse, you know, my horse starts stepping off in rocks or a, or a, a well, hand-dug well somewhere because, well, you taught me to do that. Yeah. And that question, then the next thing we do, that's not fair, yeah. you know. So, You're right. uh, so there's, there's, every horse has a little bit. Mules are the worst. I mean, mule has absolutely. They, they call them stubborn. No, they have a high self preservation, right? So they're not going to commit to anything. They're not pretty sure about. I was going to say they're like so intelligent. <laughs> was that way, you know? And so, so yes, it's just developing their awareness and and uh, and getting them to the point where okay, I'm getting confident with these obstacles, and then heck. You know, they get to where the obstacles are just, it doesn't matter if it's brand new, they've never seen it. You've already developed that dialogue, right, that takes to get through that new experience. And so you've already gotten taught. Yeah, you know, when yeah. they run into something new, they don't even question it. Yeah, they look they to you for that leadership. And 
And yes, when you get to Calgary, if your horse is not thinking back to you, you're in trouble. Yeah, you lost. <laughs> you got that many people standing around. Yeah, you know it's just and the, the like you said, there is no way I cannot create that kind of pressure here at home. Mm-hmm. Right? There's mm-hmm. no I can't do the lights that are running around on the floor that the half time they're looking at going is that thing going to eat my life? <laughs> Other than that, Jack goes all the way back to that Jack Russell dog though. That's it's running true. in and out of the dimmer, right? Yeah. So that little white spot running up through the exact leaves same and all stimulus, that stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. And then I go into Calgary, right? And those because they, they got those disco balls and lights running around. Pretty, you know. Even if they do look at it, it's just for a second, and they go, "Ah, oh, you know, we're good." Oakley, the yeah, Jack Russell, we're good. You know, and they go on. <laughs> I've seen this does that before. Make sense? Yeah, no, it like, absolutely oh, does. It all, all comes relative. back to, to just developing and getting prepared and, and just having them prepared to think back to you. Yeah. And Because uh, home is where the heart is, right? That's very so, true. That's a good way to put it right there. Very simple. Home, and, and, and if you have your horse's heart, they're always home. Yeah. That's awesome. Right? No matter where, no matter if it's that, that big field down there on Walnut Creek when my horses are thinking back to the barn and I stay down there until I get their heart committed to my purposes down there yeah. where they're not yeah. looking to the barn. Yeah. Right, that's pretty so, cool. Right, you don't make you don't let them lean to the barn. You say, "Hey, I need you here. I, I need you here. here. I need you here." Yeah, until they go, "Okay, fine. I'm committed to. I'm committed to you. Where do you want to go?" And then they quit leaning to the barn. And then guess what? We get to go back to the barn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ain't that the uh, truth? Good yeah, stuff. you know, you just get their heart committed to your purposes, and and uh, and man, it, it just makes them. You know, you just have to. It's incredible to see the potential, right, of what could be once you establish that foundation and that trust. Absolutely. Good stuff. So let's talk about, I want to cover the future for shoe and our horsemanship, right? You're kind of in a transition phase, you said yourself, right, doing a few less horses from the farrier side of the business and developing your property a little bit so you could better accommodate a full-time training schedule. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've been a full-time farrier for 20 years. Uh, It's been a... uh, you know, it's a passion for me. I like shoeing horses. I, I've absolutely enjoyed every minute of it. Um, I went to college for just a second, decided I didn't like that at all, and, and I went to actually learn to shoe horses. Um, I thought maybe just enough to shoe my own, but I, I liked it, stuck with it, and I've uh, uh, been doing it ever since, and then kind of, you know, training two or three outside horses. And, and uh, But uh, my passion has, oh, as I learn more and grow and, and get to travel and teach and uh things like that it's it's time you know i'm i'm not that old i'm only 36 but i don't want to be a 70 year old horseshoer so i'd much rather be a 70 year old trainer yeah heck yeah Uh, so uh we're 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 wanting to get a barn built that's something where one of our goals this year is to get a small uh uh indoor riding arena so we're you know we're not bound by the weather and the winter cold winters here and stuff like that we've got a place we could keep going and uh and yeah we'll start phasing um start backing off of the shoeing thing and transition more to full-time training and uh and doing the clinician thing still of course uh we do some small what we call little mini clinics here at the house um, right now those are weather permitting of course but once we get the barn we'll be able to just you, you know get around every month or every other month yeah. and then we're traveling a lot i'll go to australia uh, for the last two weeks of march uh, we'll be in el paso for a weekend in april and then i'll be in uh, ontario canada for two weeks in may and and so uh, I think that's our that's our next step in, in the future. And, um, I don't know, you know, what God has planned. Uh, I, I 
was pretty convicted by a friend of mine the other day. I wrote out a big business plan of how many horses we're going to do and, and how big the barn's going to be and how many stalls we're going to have. And, and, uh, I thought I had this grand, you know, idea and business plan. And he said, well, you're limited by yourself. He said, you haven't left any room for, <laughs> you know, why do you, why, which I thought it was huge. You know, I'm yeah. thinking, you know, outside of my comfort zone, you know, and he's like, heck, I don't know if you're leaving much room for God to work. <laughs> That's a great way to put like, it. Like, oh man, I never thought about like, you know, cause yeah. you know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, we'll put eight horses, you know, and we could pay for the barn and, and, you know, Holly and I, we can manage and get the stalls clean and feed and, 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 you know, Corey slapped me upside the face, but basically it's like, what if there's 15 horses or 20? And I'm like, oh, well, I can't, you That's know, a good I don't question. Know. he said, what if you got somebody riding with you? What if you got a, you know, um, you know, we talk about some of these young kids. We'll have, we've had an intern from Canada or two. I've got another guy coming from Canada. He'll spend the month of April with me. And he said, Josh, you got all these young people and stuff that are coming to learn and, and, uh, you, you need to be open to bigger. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't even know. Sky's the limit, I guess. That's crazy. I just wrote, so I've been working on a, a business plan here for the day six ranch where we're at. And, uh, after some previous conversations last week, I had the same experience. Well, I spent all this time working on this business plan. I got it pretty, pretty well dialed in and, uh, I might as well just throw it in the garbage and start over because <laughs> your perspective right. changes. <laughs> I said, well, that's good the way I felt. Yeah, I was like, well, wasted six please, hours of my life. On that. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. So as I wrap every show, uh, I offer up this legacy question, right? And I frame it as, you know, if, if you were to, if you were to give advice or leave a legacy with an individual who is traveling down the same path of life that you had just traveled, what would you like to leave or what would you like to share with them to, to maybe better help their travels down that path? Oh, gee whiz. You know, I have absolutely zero regrets. I mean, we've, we've absolutely had, you know, a wonderful experience and, and we've sacrificed a lot. You know, I, my wife and I joke all the time about, uh, you know, if we sold our truck and our trailer in this property, what kind of house we could be living in and what kind of boat we could have oh, yeah. <laughs> hang out on the lake. But oh yeah. It's just worth it. You know, uh, it, it's just absolutely worth it. And, and, uh, I know there's, there's sacrifices that have to be made and, and, uh, because uh, property is not cheap, you know, um, places to ride horses, you know, it's not cheap to own your own place. And, and, uh, um, that's, that's, you know, that's a sacrifice. It takes a lot of money, time, effort, and energy to, the, to, to, as you know, yes. um, to keep that, develop that and, and keep it going. But, um, you know, uh, knowledge, you know, if somebody coming behind me in my same footsteps, um, I have a craving for knowledge, you know, and, and, more, more, more all the time. And just keep that passion for, for learning more and don't be afraid to go outside of your comfort zone. Um, and you may never go be a hunt jumper or a fox hunter, but it's okay to go ride with that person and see what they have to offer. That's great. Uh, you may never be a, a rainer or a cutter or a cow horse guy. You know, I've got a cow horse guy, Brad Lund, that we go ride with every once in a while. Uh, just, there's so many, uh, things out there to learn. And, and, um, I don't know what the future is for cowboy racing. You know, I, I, I'd love to think that I could stick with it, make a career out of it. It's a very small sport right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, I think there's something to it about being able to go in your own backyard and practice at something Yeah. versus some of the specialized places where you have to have good dirt or have to have a $15,000 horse to even get started, you yeah, know, access to cattle, uh, things of that sort. 
Yeah, you know, and I think there's something to, I think you'll see the next big, you know, we went through the natural horsemanship phase and I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. I think people need something practical. I think you're going to see a real, real sense of practicality when it comes to horsemanship over the next few years. Um, that's, that's great. And that's cute that those tricks and stuff, but what, what can I really go do with my horse? You know, yeah. what's something I could really take home yeah. and go in my backyard and get done. Yeah. And, and I think that's the future. And, and I think, um, I think these young kids coming up, I listen to Andre Fapani podcast every once in a while. I don't know, but they were talking about, and their truth, one of the, I don't know which one it was, but these young kids now are jumping on pretty broke horses. They don't have that understanding of, of cult starting, right? Some of these kids are jumping out here and just, you know, I'm a trainer all of a sudden and they're yeah. not, they're missing out on that basic, right? Until you go in a round pen with a horse that's never been touched, right? And experience some of those, that stuff. And, and so maybe you don't want to start Colts. That's okay. I think it's, you know, if I was going to give advice to somebody young coming, you know, you need to go start a couple. I was going to say at Whether some point you got to have, a, you got to have that experience, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, it's too important. There's, 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 you know, until you've dealt with that horse's fear, that, that horse's lack of confidence, um, dealing with a human for the first time, you need to experience that. And it's okay if that's not going to be your career. Um, but, but you need to get, you know, go hang out with that colt star. There's so many people in the country that just start colts, and they're super exceptional horsemen. They may not be able to finish one. Mm. They probably can't spin one or slide one 30 feet. But they're very talented at, at reading a horse and, and developing um, those skills right off the bat of communication and trust. Which plays a huge role in that horse's success over their life. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely has absolutely. its place. Yeah, yeah, for sure, so. Good stuff, Josh. Absolutely, it is. It is right. It's your it's your relative experience in life, you know. And that's the thing with yep. this show is that I try to provide enough of variety. You know, we started with a very focused market, but not too far into this show, we started to see how the benefit could really, really open up as far as its view. And that's why we like to have cowboys and cowgirls on from all over the world and all different sorts of disciplines, because what you offer today with your cowboy racing experience, you know, it could benefit that cold starter or eventer or jumper or rainer, right? Um, it could, it's right. definitely going to benefit the backyard horseman per se, because uh, the experience is relative, right? But the lessons are what, what are applicable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, who doesn't want to be the next reigning world champion? Oh, I mean, my, my I wife do. and I are big fans. Yeah. We're big reigning fans, right? Yeah. You know, we love it. We love the sport. We went down to watch a fraternity this year. But that's not, I mean, honestly, the bread and butter of the horse world, that's not everybody. I mean, most mm-hmm. people, if they're lucky enough to have a small piece of property, they got their horse in their backyard or they're boarding it somewhere. And and it's like those are the bread and butter to me, the yep. horse industry. Yep. Those people Absolutely. that are go out in their backyard and – and uh, and try to do something and enjoy their horse, and they may never even compete, yeah. and that's okay. That's absolutely know? okay. Uh, but let's get the best experience possible I out mean, of it. You know, I get pretty competition oriented for somebody that didn't start out in life that way. And uh, but it's not that's not the that's not the end of the world. I mean, I the name of the game is go enjoy your horse. Number yeah, one, absolutely. And, uh, if you can do that through competition, fine. If you just want to go out in your backyard and ride him bareback with a string in his mouth, and then absolutely fine with me and, I, and i'd know. say that's more advantageous than the person that doesn't have the skill set and tries to master a horse through competition and ends up ruining it absolutely 
Absolutely. 100%. Good stuff. Well, Josh, I thank you very much for making time for everybody here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast. It's been an exciting episode, and we wish you the best with all your races coming up here in the future and in the transition from going uh, working underneath a horse to, to spending more time in the saddle at shoeing our horsemanship. I sure appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jason. We'll talk to you down the road. Have a good one. You bet. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Rain Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Rain Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Rain Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.